the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may have a seat. So my husband Greg and I um, have a friend named Jason Lee. Many of you know this friend. Jason used to be on staff at Sanctuary before he moved to Boston. And before Jason moved, he actually lived with my family for a little bit. And when he showed up at my house to move in, Jason showed up with some normal things like some bags of clothes, and then some Jason things like a bunch of guitars. And then he also came with a giant crate full of coffee paraphernalia. So Jason, when it comes to coffee, he is part scientist, part chef, and part artist. And Jason just, he delights in coffee. He is like a connoisseur. And Greg and I are not like that. So we are pretty basic Starbucks or Pete's or generic dark roast grocery store brand coffee people. We like it dark, we like it rich, we like it to punch you in the face in the morning. And so Jason was really excited living with us to be able to elevate our coffee experience and kind of bring us up to a new level of sophistication in our coffee drinking. So in the morning when I would wake up, Jason would often be awake before us working on the coffee. And so he has, you know, scales and grinders and special kettles and special cups that keep the coffee at the right temperature. It's a whole experience. He even has a little notebook where he keeps notes on every pot of coffee that he brews. This is a true art form. And so Jason in the kitchen is just like inviting Greg and me to try something new and, you know, to kind of leave our old coffee behind. He even had us watch a documentary about coffee <laughs> to help us understand this art form. So when I think about our series on prayer, we're spending a month talking about prayer, I think that what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our community is a little bit like what Jason Lee was doing in my kitchen. The Holy Spirit wants to invite us to taste and to experience something we've never experienced before. And that the Holy Spirit wants us to try things and to experiment. And that there is basically so much more to prayer than what we know. So I thought I was a coffee person before Jason moved into my house. And now I know I am not. I am just scratching the surface. There's so much more to coffee than I, than I understand and know. And I think that is what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us about prayer. We think we know what prayer is, but there is so much more to prayer than what we currently know and experience. And I think that is true regardless of our experience with prayer. Some of us would consider ourselves prayer people. We love prayer. I think there's more for us. Some of us, maybe some of you here have never prayed before. Maybe you're here because you have spiritual questions or because someone brought you here this morning. And I think there's more for you. And some of you, some of you may have had a bad experience with prayer. I know the pain of praying for something, praying for something hard that doesn't go the way you want it. And sometimes that can turn us off to prayer. What's the point? 
I think there's more for you. So this morning, that's my sense. That's that the image that I want to give you is that the Holy Spirit is like Jason Lee in my kitchen, inviting us to experience more. It's a great, great quote. All right. So there's more for us in prayer. Um, just to, uh, I want to speak really quickly to those of you in the room. If you are here and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're here because you're you have questions, maybe you're looking for answers, maybe somebody brought you. I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I hope that you will feel free to be yourself, to, to be honest, to not feel like you have to be fake here. Some of what I'm going to say as I talk about prayer this morning might feel a little out there, and I'm aware of that, and I just want to say, hang in there. Hang in there with me. Um, you know, hang in there through the parts that feel out there and lean for the things that you can connect with. And I am so glad that you're here, and I believe there's something for you this morning. All right, so a, a deeper and a more f- full and rich experience in prayer. How do we get that? If we want that, how do we get that? Well, the most simplistic, kind of obvious first step is we have to want it and we have to go after it. We have to pursue it. So this word pursuit, this is a word that we've been continuing to come back to as a community. That God would make us a people who are so passionate about him and his kingdom that we would be almost reckless in our pursuit of him. That has been a word for us this past season. Pastor Andrew has said, I don't know how many times, this phrase, that the value of the possession can be seen in the intensity of the pursuit. In other words, you can tell how much we care about something by how hard we go after it. So Jason and that perfect cup of coffee, or an athlete and the next personal record, or a college student and a good job after graduation. We go after these things. And I want to add to that the sanctuary church and a a deeper and richer and better experience of God and his kingdom through prayer. I want us to go after that, to pursue that. So what does it look like to pursue God in prayer? That's what I want to talk about today. There's a phrase in scripture that appears throughout the scriptures that kind of captures this idea of pursuing God in prayer, and that's the idea of seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. This is um, from the psalm that I read earlier. Uh, This phrase is there. You said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now this expression, this is one of those kind of religious expressions that doesn't have an application in the rest of our life. We don't use this phrase. I don't say, you know, after service today, I'm really excited. I'm going to go home and seek Greg's face. Or... You know, we don't, this is not a common expression. We don't talk about seeking each other's faces. And the reason for that is because in Hebrew, this is an idiom. This is an expression. When, when the Bible talks about seeking God's face, what it's talking about is God's presence. So when God says, seek my face, he's saying, seek my presence. Seek me. Be with me. And here's the critical thing to know about seeking God's face in prayer. When we seek God's face, Our entry point into prayer isn't anything that we want God to do for us. It's nothing that we want to get from God. It's not outcome-driven. The entry point into prayer when we seek God's face is simply the desire to be with God. The desire to know Him and to be known by Him. So this is what David is doing in this psalm. He literally just is asking to be able to gaze on the Lord's beauty. 
He doesn't want anything from God other than to be with him, to be in his presence, and to inquire, or another translation says, seek him in his temple. So if the thing that is driving us to pray, driving us to our knees, is not the desire to be with God, if it's anything else, if it's our need, if it's desperation, if it's something that we need from God, that's not seeking God's face. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer, but it's a different kind of prayer. In fact, we might call that kind of prayer when we come to God with a need or we come to God for help, we might call that seeking God's hand. So in scripture, God's face is an idiom for his presence. God's hand is an idiom for his power. And so I actually wanted this sermon to be on both. I wanted to be able to preach on seeking God's face and seeking God's hand, and I realized that would be like an hour and a half long. That's two sermons, and maybe we'll preach that second one another time. So there's nothing wrong with seeking God's hand when we ask him to intervene and to move and to do what he does in the world, but that's different. Today we want to talk about seeking God's face. And here's why this is important, this difference between those two kinds of prayer. Psalm 145.16 says that you open your hand, God opens his hand, and satisfies the desires of every living thing. And so what this is saying is that any creature on earth can be satisfied by the opening or the moving of God's hand, right? So a squirrel or a slug or a spider can be satisfied by what God can do by providing sunshine and rain and food and shelter. Anything, any living creature can be satisfied when God moves his hand and opens his hand in provision. But humans are different. Humans have a soul, and we were created for intimacy with God in a way that is unique from all the rest of the created order. And so our deepest desires go beyond those immediate, like, physical needs. We have this hardwired desire for intimacy with God. That is the deepest desire of the human soul. And so while we might enjoy the things from God's hand, we might enjoy the things he provides, none of those things will satisfy us in the deepest place the way that seeking God's face and experiencing his presence will, because it's only in the presence of God that we can experience the intimacy that we were designed for. And so seeking God's hand and asking him to move, that is really good and we need to do more of that. But seeking God's face is spiritually primal for human beings. We need to seek God's face in order to survive. So I want to talk about practically what does that mean? So we say seek God's face and we're all like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Not necessarily. I want to get really practical about what would that look like in my daily life to seek God's face. How do I do that? The first thing that I, just kind of a note, and then I'm going to give us a little roadmap, but the note is seeking God's face requires time and intentionality. So there's other kinds of prayer that we can do kind of drive-through style, and I do that all the time. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's better, I think, to invite God into our lives than to ignore him. So I'll literally be in the grocery store and have a moment waiting in line where I try to pray or connect with God. And that's great. That's not seeking God's face. That is inviting God into my moment. It's very different. It's like the difference between kind of a chance encounter with someone and making a plan to hang out with them. My friend Jen 
lives around the corner from me. She's in my neighborhood. And I know if it's a nice day and I'm, you know, it's late afternoon or evening and I go for a walk, I am likely to run into Jen. And sometimes I go for a walk with the intention of running into Jen. I'd like to see Jen. And we'll have a great little chit-chat by her house. That's really different than when I text Jen and say, hey, can we get coffee? And we sit down for an hour and a half and talk. And I think sometimes the way we approach God is very much the chance encounters. I hope you all experience and encounter God this morning. You've come here, there's some intentionality there, but that is still different from setting aside time to seek God's face. The difference between an encounter in the middle of your life and time set aside with the express purpose of seeking intimacy with God. So it takes some time. So once, let's say, let's imagine that we have some time and we've set aside some time, maybe 15 minutes before we go to bed. We're going to seek God's face. What do we do? What do we do when we get time with God to seek God's face? So I want to give you today a little roadmap for seeking God's face. And I want to be really clear, this is my roadmap. This is not the only roadmap. There are other ways to pray. I'm absolutely not saying this is the only way to pray. But it's been helpful for me, and I hope that it might be helpful for you. So there are three types of prayer that I want to talk about today. Adoration confession, and listening prayer. So I'm going to start with adoration. So when we begin a time of seeking God, I think it's helpful to begin with adoration. Adoration is a form of prayer where we tell God how much we love him and what we love about him. It's really simple. We just focus on God and we tell him how great he is. So two things that adoration does for me, and this is speaking from my experience, but again, I hope it will be helpful for you. So two things adoration does for me. First, for me, it's like putting on new glasses. It, it shifts my focus. So for me, I'm aware so much of my consciousness and my thoughts as I'm running through the day, they're like right in a six-inch radius of my brain. You know, I am so focused on myself. I am so seeing everything through the lenses of self. So that adoration helps me to shift my consciousness from myself to God. And so for me, the way I think about it, it's like a lot of times I think about finding God in my life, and adoration helps me to locate myself in God. Where I am aware, I am part of God's story. There, it's great to invite God into my story, but that's a little bit backwards. And so adoration helps me to locate myself in God. The second thing it does for me is um, that it helps me to remember who I'm praying to. Pastor Andrew talked about this a couple weeks ago, the danger of praying to a God who looks just like us. We like to do that. We like to recreate God in our image. And so adoration reminds me, oh, God is not like me. God is different from me. And the ways that I'm tempted to worship a God who is not actually the real God, adoration brings me back to worshiping the true God. So I wanted to share something that I've learned about adoration that's been helpful for me, and I hope it may be helpful for some of you. So how many of you are familiar with the five love languages? Some of us, probably all the married people in the room. So five love languages is um, just an idea that each of us has different ways that we give and receive love. And that especially when we're in a relationship, it can be helpful to know the other person's love language because sometimes it's like we're speaking a different language. 
So this is true for Greg and me. We have different love languages. So my top ones are gifts and physical touch. Greg's are words of affirmation. And unfortunately for Greg, words of affirmation is my lowest. So this is a struggle for us and for me. And the way that this kind of plays itself out is two ways. One, I don't always think about expressing my love verbally to Greg. There are other ways I'd like to express my love. I don't always, it doesn't come to my mind to think, oh, I should express my love verbally. That's one thing. The second thing is when I do have to express my love verbally, like a birthday card, I just struggle. I, I feel like my words fail me. There is so much in here. I don't know how to get it on the page. How many times can I say the word amazing or wonderful? I just, I, I struggle to verbally express the things that are in my heart. And I have found, to be honest, that sometimes I have that struggle with God. How many times can I say the word beautiful, good, amazing? I don't always have the words to express my emotions to God. In some ways, you know, the woman who breaks the jar and anoints Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her hair, I'm like, oh, that's my love language. I could do that. But I need to express my love verbally to God. And so something that has um, helped me is to use the Psalms and liturgy to give me the words that I often don't have. So the Psalms and scripture, this is like the prayer book that's just written into the Bible. The Psalms express the breadth of human emotion. They express all of kind of the breadth of human experience and they're full of adoration. And so a lot of times when I begin a time of seeking God's face or I begin a time of adoration, I'm literally reading a psalm. So I'm going to put three up there that I really like personally. Psalm 8, Psalm 100, and Psalm 145. These, I think, are excellent if you need to just start somewhere and use somebody else's words. I um, also love liturgical prayer. So I grew up in the Episcopal Church. My heart prayer language is, in many ways, liturgy. I love liturgy. And there is a, um, a song of adoration in the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, Morning Prayer, called the Song of Creation. And it's a litany that goes through the cosmic order, the natural world, and then the people of God calling all of those things to worship God. And that song brings me to my knees because it just is so beautiful. They're words that I don't have, but they call me to worship God. When Greg was learning how to play the piano, he told me that his piano teacher would have him, if he was stuck, put his hands on top of hers to learn how to play the notes. Richard Foster says the Psalms do that for us in prayer. That as we pray these words that somebody else wrote, the ancient words eventually become our own. And that's been my experience in prayer. The more that I pray the Psalms, the more that I pray these liturgies, those words become my words. When my words fail me, the, uh, the church helps me out. So adoration, telling God how beautiful he is, how much we love him, what we love about him. Next for me, I tend to move into confession. So I want to talk about confession. And for me, when I get to this place, like if this was a roadmap, I am not necessarily taking a hard turn here. It's really more of a merging from adoration into confession 
in a kind of a seamless way. For me, this is a really natural response to adoration. The more I become aware of who God is, the more I become aware of who I am. And I become aware of the distance between me and God. This is a, an experience that people have in the scriptures. So Isaiah, when he has this encounter with God, who um, he, he's like looking at God in the temple and having this profound experience, his response is to say, I am ruined because I'm a sinful man. Peter has a similar experience. When he encounters God's power, his first response is to say, get away from me. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. When we encounter God's presence, we're often aware, not only of who he is, but who we are. So sin, I want to just talk, just give us a definition of sin. What is sin? At Sanctuary, we talk about, um, just one definition that is helpful is to talk about sin being legitimate longings that have gone astray. So places where we have, in response to a longing that we have, stepped outside of the boundaries of God's best for us. Or we have stepped away from God. And sin puts distance between us and God. But it's not, I think a lot of times we think it's because God recoils from us at our sin, and that's actually not true. God doesn't move. Sin is us backing away from God and putting the distance there. We've stepped outside of God's best for us, and that causes distance. A.W. Tozer describes sin like a veil that hides the face of God from us. And so when we begin to seek God, it's actually the thing that keeps us from seeing his face oftentimes is our sin. So I want to read this quote for you. He's talking about this distance that we feel. And he says, It is the veil of our fleshly fallen nature living on, unjudged within us, uncrucified and unrepudiated. It is the close-woven veil of the self-life, which we have never truly acknowledged, of which we have been secretly ashamed, and which for the, those reasons we have never brought to the judgment of the cross. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. I love that. That describes my experience in prayer. If sin puts distance between us and God like a veil, confession is the practice of returning. So sin is we're backing away, and confession is when we begin to take a step closer. We are coming back, running back into intimacy with God. Confession increases our intimacy with God by closing the gap. It tears that veil because it invites God to put our sin to death. That is what confession does. And so confession, a lot of times, I know there's shame attached to our sin, and we feel like God, that, that might increase the distance. It's actually the opposite. When we acknowledge our sin and we ask for forgiveness, it closes the gap. And the, the, uh, on the other side of confession, there is even more intimacy. I think the practice of confession is corrective for us in two ways. So I think there are some of us who respond to our sin and I have a son like this. One of my sons is like this. He is so aware of his sin. He is so aware of every way that he does not measure up. This is the child who tells on himself and wakes himself up in the middle of the night and comes and tells me, Mom, two weeks ago, I, I think I thought a bad thought about my friend. He carries his imperfection and his sin like a heavy burden. And so confession for him is a chance to let that go and to receive love and acceptance and forgiveness. 
And then there's others of us, and I think I am sometimes in this category, sort of the older brother types in the prodigal son story, who are blind to our sin. And so confession is like Psalm 139 that says, search my heart and see if there's any offensive way in us. Confession is good because it reveals our sin to us. And so I think confession, the practice, is corrective in both ways. So really, practically, I just want to tell you how I practice confession. Again, I'm not um, imagining that this is helpful for everyone, but this is what I do. So I read a liturgical confession prayer because it pushes me to think about more sin than I am coming in with ready to confess. So I'm going to read this for you and tell you what I do. So I read this. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And I pause in each one of those categories. Thought. Oh my goodness, I can think of ten things, and I confess them. Word. Oh my goodness, the way that I spoke to my children this morning. I can think of things in that category. Deed. I pause there and confess those specific things. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. And there's a whole other category that I hadn't thought about. And so I'm confessing sin there. We have not loved you with our whole heart. Another one. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Another one. This prayer for me helps me to search my heart and gives me categories to explore and to bring into the light. So we confess our sin. Step one, confess your sin. Tell the Lord what it is. Just get it out there. Next, we ask for forgiveness. So this prayer says, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of thy son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. We ask for forgiveness. The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes, but there is something powerful and something that reminds me of the transaction that happened on the cross when I ask for forgiveness. It's powerful. The answer is always yes. And then um, at the end of that prayer, that we may delight in thy will and walk in thy ways. I'm using the old language. You probably have the new language. <laughs> to the glory of thy name. Amen. So we want to live in newness of life. We want to walk forward changed. As we finish confession, I think it's really important to remind ourselves of our assurance. And so there's two scriptures I want to put up on the screen. I read these over myself. Pick one. Um, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We remind ourselves that the answer is always yes. And then Psalm 103, 8 to 12, it's a beautiful passage, but the end of it is, for high, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we confess our sin, we ask for forgiveness, and we remind ourselves that we are loved, forgiven, accepted, and that that gap is closed. It's never a no, it's always a yes. So adoration, confession. And then, listening prayer. This is what I do. I, I want us to lean into this one. So I'm going to park it here for the rest of the sermon. Listening prayer. Back to Jason in my kitchen. I think that listening prayer is the form of prayer, if I may be so bold, that God is inviting us to grow the most in. When we think about prayer, we often... It's one-sided. We think about prayer as us talking to God. There is a two-sided conversation that God wants to have with us. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants to have a two-way conversation, a back-and-forth conversation. 
But so much of our prayer life is one-sided. So this is the place that I think the Holy Spirit is saying, oh my gosh, there's so much more. You've never tasted this. Try this. So I want to just give some kind of uh, background and like a little bit of a case for why we should practice listening prayer. So first of all, why is it important to listen for the voice of God in prayer? God has given us his scripture. This is God's voice, the Bible. Why should we listen for additional words from God in prayer? Why do we do that? Here's my stab at that. There are two words in Greek for word, and they are logos and rhema. And they mean different things. So logos is the timeless, enduring, constant word. So this is the word that would refer to the scriptures, the unchanging word of God. This word also, when Jesus is referred to as the word, it's the logos. Jesus is the constant, eternal revelation of God. But then there's this other word, rhema. And this is not an eternal word. This is a timely word, an immediate word, a spoken word, an utterance. This is the things that God says to us in an ongoing way. And so when Jesus, in Matthew 4, is tempted in the desert, he says this phrase. This is a very familiar scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the word for word that Jesus uses is rhema, that timely, fresh, immediate utterance out of God's mouth. So Jesus is saying, similar to what I was saying before, that more than being sustained by bread and the the provision of God's hand, we actually need to be sustained by the rhema of God, by the word of God that we get when we seek his face and we allow him to speak to us. There's something in God's voice, again, that we find when we come into his presence and ask him to speak to us that sustains our life even better than bread. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, the thing that's going to be happening that might be happening for some of you, but would definitely be happening for the first century hearers, is they're going to be making connections immediately Jesus is being tempted in the desert for 40 days, and they're going to be thinking about Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. Then Jesus starts talking about bread and sustenance in the desert, and they're going to be thinking about the way that God sustained Israel in the desert with manna, or bread from heaven. So in the desert, Israel had no food for 40 years. God provided bread that came like dew that they went out and collected, bread from heaven. And so every morning they would go and collect this manna. And what's interesting about manna is that it wouldn't keep. They had to collect it every day. They tried, some of them, to store it overnight, and it spoiled. You want to store it because what, you know, what if God doesn't provide tomorrow? You try to store it up. They had to depend on God every single day for manna. And so I think there's an interesting connection when we talk about being sustained by the rhema of God. We need a fresh word daily from God for our sustenance. We need to depend on God to speak to us in an ongoing way, every day. I'm not saying that there aren't times where God gives us a word that shapes the next season, the next you know five years of our life, or even shapes the course of our life. 
There are times when God speaks like that. But what I am saying is that if we are going to depend on an experience or an encounter or a word from God that we had a year ago or 10 years ago or back when we were really into Jesus in high school, eventually that's going to stop being satisfying for us. The only way to live and to sustain our life and to be satisfied deeply is to continue to come back for a fresh word from the mouth of God. And so that's what listening prayer does for us. It allows God to speak his rhema to us every day. So that is the why that compels me to ask God to speak to me on an ongoing basis. But now it's the how. And this is the the age-old question. How does God speak? How do I hear his voice? Is it going to be an audible voice? Am I going to hear an audible voice? Will there be neon signs? That would be really nice. Will there be neon signs? That's always a question. How do we hear the voice of God? So the idea that has been the most transformative for me and for many people I know in the area of learning to hear God's voice is this simple idea. That the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak directly to our minds. That some of the thoughts in our minds are actually put there by the Holy Spirit. That is the idea that has unlocked for me just more in the area of hearing God's voice. Now, back to the um, hanging in there with me. This is where you might need to hang in there with me. I'm recognizing this is a little bit out there. You might think I'm a little bit nuts. I'm okay with that. Hang in there with me, okay? This idea that not all the thoughts in our brain are our own, this actually isn't that unique of an idea, okay? So I want to give you a couple of other examples. Anyone who is familiar with the arts is familiar with the idea of inspiration. Artists talk about being inspired, that something outside of them sometimes catalyzes or even gives them the inspiration that produces this beautiful work of art, right? The idea that something just came to me. We say that, something that came to me. Where did it come from? Paul McCartney had this experience with the song Yesterday. So I don't know if you know this, but arguably one of the greatest songs by one of arguably the greatest bands in the history of music, that song came to him in a dream, fully formed. Chords, melody, the whole composition, fully written. In a dream, he just wrote it down. It came to him. So this idea that thoughts can just come to us. In the fields of neuroscience and psychology, the more that people study the ideas of how thoughts are formed, the more they realize how mysterious these processes are. This scholar who has a PhD from Harvard, teaches at UCAL Berkeley, and is an expert in the human mind, said this. Despite having learned so much about the anatomy and physiology of the human brain in the last century, we don't actually have a better account of how consciousness and cognition arise in the brain than it arises out of immaterial soul stuff. That is his explanation. Some scientists have even compared the human brain to an antenna system that kind of receives stimuli, external and internal, turns that into nebulous information clouds that then are condensed into streams of thought. An antenna system, okay? So here's the question I want to ask. If you were the god of the universe, and you created your people for relationship with you, and you wanted to communicate with them, and they have a giant antenna system in their brain, would you put a neon 
sign in the sky for every person? It would get really cluttered up there. Or would you speak directly to their heart and mind? This idea that God can speak to us from within us. This is the idea, I think, that will help us to unlock our ability to hear God's voice. And we see this uh, backed up in Scripture. So even this passage that I picked today, and I picked it for the seeking part, not for this part, and then I found something really awesome in this passage. So um, the the version that I put up there is from the ESV, which is a really well-known and trusted translation. And it translates verse 8 this way. You have said... Seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? So you have said, seek my face. But then the NIV, which is another translation, very well known and respected, has a different way of translating verse 8. It says, my heart says of you, God, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So I got a little bit confused. When you put these two next to each other, we have, you have said, seek my face. And then we have, my heart says of you, seek his face. And I looked up a bunch of other translations, and they kind of fall into those two camps. Is God speaking, or is my heart speaking? It baffled me, so I went to a Hebrew transliteration, a couple different ones, to see what, if we just take the Hebrew words, what word for word does this verse say? And this is what it says. On your behalf, God, on God's behalf, my heart said, seek my face. First person possessive, seek my face. What this is saying is that my heart is speaking with God's voice. My heart on God's behalf is speaking with the the words of God from within me. So is God speaking or is my heart speaking? And the answer is yes. God is speaking to me from within my own heart and mind. The idea that God can speak to us from within So when we think about listening for God's voice, my encouragement to you is to open up space, invite God to speak, and then pay attention to what happens inside your heart and your mind. Write it down and see what's going on in there. I'm going to give you some specific examples of how, um, how, what this looks like, how God speaks to us through our mind. And I am going to give you some Uh, direction on how to tell if it's God's voice. I know that's a question that a lot of you have right now. But um, just four ways, uh, and I'm going to go through them really, really quick. I think one way that God speaks to us through our hearts and minds is through scripture recall. Sometimes when we open up space and say, God, speak to me, what comes to mind is a scripture. That is God's voice. Now, it's possible I have just memorized so much scripture and it's a random connection that I make, and that's possible. But is it also possible that God is directing our mind to focus on a particular scripture for a particular reason? God speaks to us through scripture recall. Second, God speaks to us verbally with words, but it may not be audible. So God often will give me words that just come to me in my thoughts. It's often in God's voice, but it's verbal. So just a quick story about this um, that I think is just a, it's a, it's a poignant story because it shows, um, it has some confirmation that this really was from God. So 15 years ago, I was at a conference, and somebody was praying for me, and someone who didn't really know me, we were acquaintances, and he felt like God gave him a very specific word for me. So it was kind of long, it was a blessing, it had many parts, it was very specific. So I, I kind of wrote it down and put it away, I did not tell anybody about it. 
Because I'm like, I don't know if this is just this guy's thoughts or if this is that. I don't really know. This conference is where I met Greg. And then the next day, I am with Greg and a bunch of other people. We are praying. And out of the clear blue sky, Greg, who doesn't really know me, says, Sarah, this is so weird, but God is telling me to tell you something. And he said the exact same thing that that guy had said the day before, verbatim. A verbal word for me, this blessing with all these different parts. It was confirmation. So in that moment, it confirmed for me that was the voice of God, not that guy's thoughts. It confirmed for Greg, he can hear the voice of God. So if you know Greg, Greg is someone who has taught many of us about hearing from God. That was the first time that Greg felt like God spoke to him. And the other thing it did is that was the first time that I kind of noticed Greg. Kind of caught my eye. So, so God can give us a verbal one. God can give us pictures and images. Sometimes when I am inviting God to speak to me, a random picture will come to my mind. Sometimes it means nothing, but sometimes it really clearly means something. When I was, about three years ago, I was um, in a place of kind of confusion about my calling and my future. And I was praying, and God gave me this powerful image of handing me a shovel, which was like, what is this? But the more that I prayed about it, I realized this shovel was an image for me of my calling. It's about the strategic side of planting. We're going to plant here. And it connected me to a process of discovering that the center of my vocation is about strategic leadership and apostolic systems. And so I had this whole moment with God about kind of defining who I was and what my calling was that came out of this image that God gave me. And I kind of put that aside. Six months later, when Pastor Andrew called to ask if I would consider this job, there is no way I would have taken this job except for that word from God six months before about the shovel. This is a shovel job, and that's why I took it. So there's a way that God can speak to us with pictures and images that come to our mind. And then lastly, a practice that I have really begun to to use a lot, that's very helpful for me, is imaginative prayer. So this is, um, the fancy word for it is Ignatian Colloquy, St. Ignatius. This is an ancient spiritual practice from St. Ignatius. Basically, the idea is if God can um, inspire our rational mind, God can inspire our imagination. And so for me, when I sit down to listen to God, a lot of times my mind wanders. I'm suddenly thinking about my to-do list. That is probably not the voice of God, maybe, but probably not. So for me to focus my mind on Jesus in a visual way is really helpful. So I actually, this is where I know some of you are like, wow, she's nuts. I imagine... Jesus and I are taking a walk, and I have a particular place that we go. It's a beautiful place. There's a bench. Sometimes we sit on the bench. And in those conversations, sometimes Jesus speaks to me with words, and sometimes he does things. So just the other day, and this is vulnerable to share, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm talking to Jesus, and I'm imagining him in my mind, and he doesn't speak anything to me, but he takes my face, and he just hands on my face. And all the rest of that day, it's kind of a hard day, I just kept coming back to that feeling of the adoration, like Jesus adores me. That feeling of having my face in his hands. So was that from my brain or from God's? I can't be sure, but I know that that is like God and the way that it kind of helped me to live into who I was the rest of that day feels a lot like God. 
So um, the last thing that I want to share is just how do we know that it's not just our thoughts? Is there any way to know? So here's the thing about that question. I'm going to give you three ways. I'm going to give you a handle on that, but I want to just speak to that question for a moment. There are times I think that we use that question as an excuse not to listen because we don't want to face that question. We don't want to, we don't want to know. We, we aren't sure that we can know it's really God, so we don't want to listen at all. And that reminds me, to be frank, of my four-year-old at dinner time. Silas, watermelon is so good. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't want to try it. It's like an impossible, it's an impossible barrier. There's nothing that I can do to get Silas to try watermelon. The question of whether or not he's going to like it cripples him. And I think the question of whether or not we can tell for sure it's God's voice cripples us, so we don't want to listen. And so I would rather see us honestly err on the side of listening and not being 100% sure and making a few mistakes than not listening at all. But here are the three ways. I'm going to give them to you anyway. All right, so, um, and really quick, I promise we are almost done. These are very quick. Scripture. If what you're hearing from God contradicts Scripture, it is absolutely not the voice of God. Scripture is the clearest way that God has spoken to us, and so that is absolutely certain. If it contradicts Scripture, not the voice of God. Community. You can share what you're hearing with others. This takes some courage and vulnerability to say, I think this is what God is saying to me. But our community can help us discern. They can say, actually... I'm not so sure that doesn't sound like God's voice, or yes, absolutely. So I had a really strange word recently. I emailed a friend who immediately wrote back and was like, oh, yes, that is the voice of God. I trust her. She could, you know, it's helpful to bring people in from our community. And then thirdly, common sense. We don't want to over-rely on this in one sense. So sometimes God tells us things that go against the common wisdom or the, like the wisdom of the age, Right? Give your money to the poor. Love your enemies. Those things don't make common sense in one way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you hear from God that you should arbitrarily damage a relationship or do something really reckless that puts your life in danger, use common sense, okay? Submit those things to community. But I think, um, I think that that fear is a barrier for us listening to God. And so I just want to encourage you to practice listening prayer. As we move to communion in a moment, when you return to your seat or before you get up, open up space and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Try it right now. <laughs> Pay attention to what comes to your mind. Write it down. Share it with a friend. Share it with me. I'd be happy to talk to you at the next step spot about anything you feel like God is speaking to you. And friends, I think that there is more for us in the area of prayer. I think the Holy Spirit is inviting us to go deeper and further. I want to give you one specific challenge. You do not have to do this. Please do not feel any pressure, but I want to put it out there because I want it to be really specific. If you've never sought God's face in prayer, if most of your prayer is, I need this, help me, I want to encourage you to try 15 minutes one time this week. 15 minutes, five minutes of adoration, five minutes of confession, five minutes of listening prayer. If you want to try that, and you've never tried that before, and you want to let me know, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear how it goes. My sense 
Kind of like how Jason feels about coffee, is that once you get that 15 minutes, you're going to want more. That's my sense. And I want to challenge you to try it. We're going to close by coming to the communion table. This is the place where we remember Jesus pouring himself open, pouring himself out, breaking himself open for us on the cross. The intimacy that we can experience with God as we seek his face. This is afforded to us by the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so when you come to the communion table and you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, we remember the love of God that sent Jesus to the cross so that we could be near to him and that gap could be closed forever. When we come for communion, um, we can come up the center aisle. If you want to receive prayer, if there's something that God is stirring in you, you can line up on this side and there'll be folks in the prayer area to pray with you. I'm going to pray for us and then invite you to